0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: Welcome to Grand Arm Blitz, right here on TuneIn, Apple Podcasts. Listen Notes, Player FM, and now Wednesdays, 10 a.m. on the Indie Rap Radio. So you can get the – download the Indie Rap Radio uh, app on Indie Rap Radio on Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Um, And we're also here on Block Talk Radio. So your host, Oscar Lopez, here. We'll be having a great show today, 261 in the house. We're going to be talking a unique concept uh, for women's tackle football. Uh, it was, it's going to be by Eric uh, Cerate of the WSF DFL, the uh, Women's uh, State Development Football League. He'll be in here in the house here in about 15 minutes. We're going to talk about that. Then later in the uh, about 40 minutes after the hour, we are going to talk to Junior Pardo, founder of uh, AAF Extended on Twitter. And so we were talking to him about the AAF, what's going on there now after two, two weeks. We're going into week three, and we having some, we're having some financial uh, issues with that. So we'll see how that pans out. So we'll see how that's uh, going to work out for the AAF. And then we're going to talk pretty much uh, after um, Junior Pardo. We're going to dive into the overseas action that's happening as well in BAFA Women, FEFA uh, Spain, and then we're going to dive into uh, France. And we'll talk about a little bit of the ex-FFL. Uh, this week, uh, week two as well. So you can get everything uh, women's American football updates at the hub at facebook.com forward slash Beauties. So don't miss out on anything else. Top stories there. If you go now, it's going to be Tori Petrie, former Detroit Dark Angels sensation and obviously now the Detroit Lions uh, beat writer on detroitlions.com. So you can get the story there by wbur.org. And our No Joke Football supporters and athletes, two of them in the news. That is Phoebe Sketcher by uh, BBC3 profiled as well. Pretty good piece on there. And you can go to the hub at Facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties. And congratulations to our own Lauren Evans, our uh, original No Joke Football pioneer for our brand as well. And Gridiron Queensland pioneer uh, was named vice president of Gridiron Queensland uh, this week. So congratulations to Lauren. Awesome accomplishment there. We are very, very proud of what she's done over in Queensland uh, alongside the other uh, All-Stars that play in the Queensland League. So it's really awesome news for the forefront here and uh, for us as well as a brand, for the supporters that we have. And then uh, tomorrow, we're going to have Anna Garza, who's going to be on Indie Rap Radio with Henry G. So you don't want to miss that. So, uh, like I said, download the Indie Rap Radio, and you can listen to our podcast uh, every Wednesday, 10 a.m. on Indie Rap Radio. So, it's pretty cool. Uh, Black History Month still going on. There's a piece that we did um, that we shared by the women's, uh, uh, women's Sports Foundation.org, and that was on Colette Smith, uh, the, the uh, NFL female coach, uh, African American female coach uh, for, with the New York Jets and so she's uh, spotlighted there on a piece by the Women's Sports Foundation. It's a really good piece there. Uh, reminder, everybody, you can go to Zazzle.com. I want to thank everybody this week. Uh, President's Day sales were really good um, all through Friday through Monday. We really appreciate it. Um, head out to the shop, take advantage of the codes. It was 25% off for this past weekend, so if you didn't take advantage of it, there's always specials on Zazzle up to 20% off. You can get everything that we have at the shop. New stuff's coming up in March and April as we launch new designs uh, to help support the awareness for the women's game international as well as domestically. So uh, check over to the Zazzle shop, Zazzle.com forward slash gridironbeauties and get up to 20% off. Use the daily code, save big. If you're international and listening to us, no big deal. Go to Zazzle.com right underneath the Zazzle bar there. It's a worldwide tab. Click on the worldwide tab and you can just uh, go to this local shop, in your country code, and you can get uh, savings as well individually there. So um, if you want to tweet us during the broadcast, uh, it's going to be uh, via Twitter. You can go to, to uh, at Great Beauties on Twitter, and right underneath the post that we did for the uh, for the show, you can actually tweet us there. You can also leave comments on our Facebook post under our podcast post that we put it up today under Episode 261. And so you can always interact with us there. We'll respond back to you guys as as much as we can. We are growing on Facebook. We're at almost 6,700 on Facebook. So thanks everybody for sharing our posts, our stories, and everything that's going on with Women's American Football. On Twitter, we're almost at 6,800. And on IG, really close to almost 7,000. So 20,000 plus strong uh, for the brand, Gridiron Beauties. I really appreciate everybody doing that effort. And then uh, coming up this obviously summer to grow summer. We have the WFA, uh, WFA put out their women's uh, football Alliance, 2019 preview just came out a couple hours ago on YouTube. So go check it out on our posts as well. Pretty impactful there. And then the WNFC will be launching as well in 2019, uh, powered by Adidas as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, one of the main topics that happened this week was really, uh, Unfortunately, we don't have the panel here today to discuss it, but we'll have them back probably next week at this point. Luis Beans uh, and, uh, obviously, uh, Troy Wilson, Kenzie Brooks, and Holly Custis to kind of join in and chime in because as, as they're getting ready for the WFA and the WNFC seasons, uh, coaching, training, and doing all their stuff that they got to get ready for. So they're probably going to end up chiming in until the fall, but, you know, obviously that's what they got to do. They're, uh, uh, Holly's up with the Seattle Majestics and Mackenzie with the Iowa Phoenix. So uh, we look forward to them returning. In the meantime, we're probably going to be riding with Luis Bean and Troy Wilson going forward here in the next couple weeks as we talk about the w, w, uh, WFA, WNFC going forward. But the big storyline this week was Calling uh, Kaepernick obviously settling with the NFL. A lot of the buzz media out there in terms of sports, you know, Fox Sports, ESPN, and every other sports outlet out there uh, everybody had two sides to these this whole thing. Where if there was true collusion, uh, in in some senses, for that, why didn't uh, Kaepernick pursue that? And then if uh, and how does the NFL just at least at this point it would be shutting the shutting him down? So it looks to me like there's a you know seal situation here where neither party is going to d- divulge any type of information. And I think that some. Some people were disappointed on one end. Other people are applauding the fact that he got paid. Now it's a debate of whether he got paid for himself or is he going to use that money towards continuing his cause? Um, You know, at this point where there's something going on with the NFL that everybody should have known about, Uh, it just looks like everything was a little bit shady with to certain people, other people. It was like, okay, this is how it's going to work out. And this is how it works out with corporate dealings. And, and when you're going with that on one side, You could battle the big gorilla, but are you going to have enough funds and money to do it? So are you going to go bankrupt just to make a point or just to sacrifice something for it? Uh, A lot of times that's one of the biggest issues that you confront when you're going up against a juggernaut that is the National Football League. So it's either a concession, as it was here with the settlement, or it's going to be a situation where you're fighting to the end and don't care whether you uh, broke in the end, which at this point I don't believe Kallen Kaepernick was – going to go that route uh, because it's not beneficial to him either to go broke and so the two parties have basically settled on an agreement where there's no more discussion no more disclosure whether callum kaepernick is going to play another down in the national football league it's still going to be an issue because i think the longer he waits as most people in the sports media would say the longer he waits the opportunity is there where he's never going to play again I mean, he got offered a contract with the AAF. And unfortunately, the AAF this week has mentioned that, obviously, they're having payroll issues to pay. Uh, and so one of the big owners in the National Hockey League from the Carolina Hurricanes, Mr. Dutton, came through with about $250 million, as was reported by the Athletic. Um, so there's issues there. So that's probably why one of the things he hesitated not to even d- dive into because it's an unproven league. Why would you dive into that? if he didn't? If he didn't go – to the Canadian Football League, then there's no reason for him to go to the AAF because it's so brand new. There's just no stability there yet. We don't know what the future will hold for Callan Kaepernick. Uh, we do know what the NFL has done, which is basically nip it in the butt, move forward, and we're, they're moving on to uh, general business as usual. So we'll discuss that uh, as we go forward in the next couple weeks in terms of how things pan out. But a lot of the sports buzz you know, outlets, ESPN, Fox Sports, CBS Sports, uh, radio, everybody else has just all these opinions about, you know, how this came about and why the settlement and everything else. So that's going to work out. We have Antonio Brown, who's apparently asked the Steelers uh, with the owner, Mr. Rooney, to let him go. And at this point, it looks like the Steelers are going to agree to that. Um, Now the Steelers face a compensation issue as to, what they're going to get for Antonio Brown, and then who's going to go after Antonio Brown? I mean, Troy's mentioned before much of a diva here, locker room issues, things like that. There was a couple teams interested in him, so I don't know how that's going to pan out. But overall, I think that's going to be the concern going forward in terms of, you know, nobody questions his talent. His talent is top-notch. Obviously, his record, his yardage, and everything else but, you know, we'll see where he lands at this point. Uh, we do have a Facebook poll at the hub at facebook.com forward slash Great Iron Beauties. So our poll is uh, trying to give us some feedback because we're trying to uh, evolve into a better brand. So it's either the articles and the stories that you love or is it the videos that we share or post that you love. So there's two options there. We really appreciate everybody going there and giving us, giving us some feedback that's going to give us a real gauge as to, going forward for the next 6 to 8 months to 12 months down the road here as to how our content is going to change. We do network with a lot of amazing people, photographers, uh, key players that give us information from leagues, obviously league personnel as well. Um, The biggest network on the planet is right there at the Hub, and we're very proud of that. Over 10 years, we've built up a lot of good relationships with a lot of people, and now it becomes normal for us to just kind of give and feed information. So if you love uh, women's American football and you love the stories and you want to us uh, to continue to bring you really good content at the hub at facebook.com for for size on beauties, then I uh, appreciate if you go to the poll and kind of just give us feedback in terms of what uh, you like so that we can start working on that and continue to do what the fans and the followers of the sport want us to do. And so it gives us a real platform that way too. So, um, you can always go to Twitter Daily, and Twitter is our basically our big big post uh, in terms of platforms. So you go to Twitter Daily there as well at Gridiron Beauties, and you can check it out. Uh, don't forget to check out our two brand uh, brand new pages. It is the uh, No Joke Football brand page on Facebook. So you just uh, type in No Joke Football, or you can go to Facebook.com forward slash No Joke Football brand, and you can check out all the uh, apparel there, plus all the stories that Go with the athletes uh, that uh, have sported our brand and continue to support us uh, in terms of the brand size, and then also on uh, book as well as Twitter. Twitter uh, also no joke football brand there and on IG as well. So uh, we're going to be having Eric Serate um, coming in here. He's the CEO of the uh, Women's State Developmental Football League. The model is a little different. In terms of a traditional setup, there is some investment, from what my understanding is, and Eric will tell us a little bit about that, in terms of how this league is going to benefit the player, ultimately, and then, um, so, you know, how that's going to change the model that we've we've had in women's football for a long, long time, as well as, you know, the WNFC offering something different from the WFA, so this is kind of like, I guess, a third model, in a way, for women's football. Um, So it'll be interesting to to see and uh, figure out how this is different from, um, you know, the traditional models that we've had before. So um, congratulations to Lafay Bahio, who won the Friendly Bowl down in Monterey, Mexico. Um, And you can uh, check it out on our Facebook page as well. And then uh, the top stories, like I said, on the hub, it is uh, Tori Petrie, Dark Angels, now the Detroit Lions, and Phoebe Sketcher from BBC three on the feature there. So you can go to top stories there as well. There is a top story that came out right before we came on air that was sent to me by uh, in France, Florine Marie uh, is obviously on the sidelines of the French uh, American football league um, elite division. So that's a pretty good story that came out of there. And so uh, we posted it up there and the Canadian football league announced uh, announces another partnership, They're growing overseas, trying to get combines. They started in Mexico. They're going overseas in Europe now. And they have France, Germany. So the uh, CFL is trying to just bring in outsiders because on their rosters, they do allow for certain uh, roster international players to come on. So it's interesting to see how the CFL is sort of like on the sidelines here, uh, away from the NFL in a sense, and they're doing their own thing. So it's pretty cool that way. So let's go into the huddle. Sponsored by Zazzle.com. You can go to Zazzle.com forward slash grand beauties. Get uh, all your stuff there, leggings, hoodies, tees, bras, and anything else, gifts at Zazzle.com forward slash grand beauties. If you're not happy with it, you're able to return it. No questions asked. And that's our Zazzle promise there. Save up to 20% off. Use daily codes. So let's go into the huddle right now. We're going to be talking to Eric Sorate, CEO of the Women's State Football the, um, Development League. Hey, Eric, how you doing tonight?
0: Good, good. How about yourself, Oscar?
1: Doing great, Eric. Um, just kind of briefly talking to everybody here about, you know, the concept of the WSDFL and the difference between, you know, uh, the old concept, which is the WFA or the or the WNFC concept, and other leagues that have sprung up in women's football for the last three years. So, give us a little overview of what the WSDFL offers.
0: Okay, so, yeah, I mean, in general, you know, I think there's been some great models that have been out there for, for women's football, you know, obviously before us. Uh, our biggest thing is we wanted to bring, you know, an, an actual legacy league for women. And what I mean by that is not just investing into them getting better at the actual game of football and being able to have a competitive play, you know, and, and, and continue to rise in levels like that, but also investing into the athlete themselves so teaching them, you know, business acumen, personal development, public speaking, uh, really going into things where they can have business platforms that can be built underneath them so they have the ability to earn while they actually play, right? And and having the ability to earn a living so they can play the sport that they love and they don't have to worry about, you know, I, I still have to uh, go to my 9 to 5, you know, Monday through Friday, and I have all these different bills and, and things I have to worry about instead of being able to treat it like an NFL like situation where they can rely on the sport that they love to be able to play that as well as have uh, business integrated into that and really investing into life after football, you know, and, and everything around there. And so the, the big thing that, I've heard or that we've heard and we've talked to a lot of these different women athletes is being able to be financially successful. You know, it's not just about the, the professional football piece, but being able to benefit monetarily as well. And so everything that we've built into this league is really investing into them far beyond just the game of football itself.
1: So, Eric, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, I know from your bio, you
0: started with the
1: State Developmental Football League, and now this is sort of a branch that you've taken under your wing?
0: Yeah, so interestingly enough, I um, I own a financial education firm. I started my business out in the Bay Area in California, and I know we had spoken last time that there's some you know similarities there. But my, my big driver was, you know, with, with my background, with everything from, from sports to security to music and all these different things, my, my big driver was I started to learn a lot about athletes going broke. And I knew that I had a potential solution for that. But in California, athletes are treated very differently than they are in Texas. So I ended up doing a scouting trip out here in January of 2017, ended up deciding to make the move into Texas, Uh, In July of 2017, and about three weeks later, I got introduced to Garrick Jones, who is the commissioner of the State Developmental Football League, or SDFL, and we just, you know, when I started to talk about my financial education, financial literacy platform, and how I thought integrating that with the actual league can be extremely beneficial to these players, so they never have to worry about those types of things, and this was on the, the male side, Um, They wouldn't have to worry about that, and I really loved the model they had put together about investing into these players, and it it was really mind-blowing that those things didn't exist before, and, you know, a constant question is, how come this doesn't exist already? And so we continue to build a relationship um, going throughout, like doing different leadership trainings, really getting down to the nitty-gritty of growing this thing out, what they had already done with it before, I came on board and uh, probably about six months in, they asked me to take on a role and I was appointed as the executive vice president of SDFL Ventures. And my job was basically to go and meet with investors, sponsors, as like the continued growth of the actual league. So we had been doing that since, or myself, I've been doing that with the league, with the SDFL since 2017. And we started to have the conversation around these, Uh, cancer initiative uh, flag football games that we had done, and we had some extremely talented uh, women come out and play in this co-ed flag football game, and a a lot of these women were making a lot of these guys look bad. And so we started having the conversation about what we were doing as far as the SDFL, and the long-term plan was always going to be we'll we'll deal with the, the men's side of football first, We'll expand out into the women's side, and then we'll also expand into the youth side because for what we do, we don't want to just leave it just men. You don't want it to be men, women, and children. And so the conversation started to become more and more real, and as we really started to dig into that, um, the commissioner of the SDFL and the co-founder, so there's Garrett Jones and then there's Byron Clay, uh, both asked me how I felt about becoming the commissioner of the women's States developmental football league. And I was, I was completely honored, you know, to be able to do that. And as I kind of journeyed into the world of women's football, I, I was blown away by not, not just the passion behind, you know, the women that were playing, but also that there wasn't, like a league didn't exist already that was paying these athletes and, so it became a, a much bigger conversation of, well, let's change that, you know, and let's take this exact same model and move it over into there. And so, you know, now I have the opportunity to be the commissioner of this expansion into the women's side. And, and I'm stoked. I'm, I'm excited just the, the more and more that I learn about uh, women's tackle football. So there, there are some differences between what we're doing and what already exists. But I I know that it's going to be a massively beneficial difference to what they're used to.
1: Now, Eric, the concepts uh, are we having a traditional league with teams? What is the concept of the uh, the WSDFL? Uh, uh, because a lot of times you know from what you've already uh, gathered the struggles are real because you're paying out almost $1,000 or so, or in some cases up to $2,000 a season as a player, not including travel mm-hmm. fees and everything else. So there obviously is an, inv- an in- initial investment on-, on your behalf, right, to try to get them to another level of uh, financial freedom.
0: Yeah, and and what I always tell people, like I'm, I'm more than happy to have this conversation with anybody that, want to sit down, like they can always reach out to me, whether it be LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram, or they can go directly to the site, which is wsdfl.com. And I, I tell anyone that has an interest in knowing more or playing for the league is just to go to the frequently asked questions section, but you know, I'd be happy to answer some of those. So yeah, I mean, initial investment wise, it will be uh 525. So each player will pay 525. And, 25 of that will be league fees, 500 of that will be team fees. And so there's an actual breakdown of the um, fees on there. So that way people don't think they have to just show up with that full amount. But tryout for each player will be $30 uh, cash the day of the tryout. And then the remaining balance will be basically broken up into five-monthly payments as the season starts if you're chosen for an actual team. And so it goes into all the different things that your fees go towards. So it's, it's not one of those things where, okay, you're going to pay, and then there's going to be another payment, and then another payment. Oh, and, and by the way, you also have to pay for this. And so it, it literally breaks down. And, it, it, we, you know, your fee takes care of everything from the athlete enrollment into the player development programs, having game film, uh, combine-specific training, league-wide player assessments, testing and scouting, player scouting reports, end-of-season game highlights, placement in the SDFL casting program, because we talked about is we have an actual uh, casting company which gets these athletes into not only commercials but also movies, which is just another source of revenue for them. Uh, They would have access because of those fees to all 25 uh, revenue programs that we have, access to financial planning services, discount shopping, player insurance, Homeownership programs, credit repair programs, financial literacy. Like it just literally just goes on and on. So when I talk about having an investment into the players, uh, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure how other leagues these break down and what they do to reinvest in the players. But the big thing for us is we want to make sure that stuff is going back to the actual players to help them not only establish themselves in the game of football and get better at that, but establish themselves in the world of business as well and and the business skill set as they continue to grow with us.
1: So the avenues, uh, Eric, if I understand this, the avenues to each individual player are beyond the football field, as you said before. So it would be basically their own passion, right? If they want to pursue finances they want to pursue uh, anything beyond what they have already like artistic stuff, uh, as you said, acting and stuff and things like that. So those are avenues that each individual will decide as to, how their revenue stream gets increased based on what they're bringing to the table, not just on the football field, but off off the
0: football field. Absolutely. And the beneficial thing with this is they, there will be business platforms that are making them money that they don't necessarily have to be actively building. One of the things that we teach people is about how to leverage their, their network. There's going to be like whether some of the people that are listening or not that are asking whether they realize is there's a ton of notoriety that is building massively behind women's football right now. And if you if if you had a chance to watch a Super Bowl, you saw that there were numerous commercials and kind of like you know um, the idea of women in sports. And I remember watching a Super Bowl and I was like, man, that's, I've never seen that before. And I don't know if it's a one of those, you know, my reticular activator is on right now regarding women's sports, but it just seemed to be, to be a very heavy theme. Even when we talk about the woman that uh, is playing college football right now and, and whether she'll get an opportunity to go pro and play in the NFL. And so that theme is, is heavy right now. So being a standout player in any league, but also learning how to leverage that, this is one of the things that male athletes could, could learn how to do and become stronger at as well. Uh, but in things like becoming a social media influencer or knowing how to use your face as a brand, like that's worth something to brands that are trying to get exposure, whatever that may be. So, yeah, whatever their passion is, for some people it will be more in the financial realm. Other people might be in the artistic and the acting realm. Uh, For other people it may be that they want to turn right back around after playing and they want to coach. You know, there's really no limitations when it comes to being able to, Um, grow that skill set and that's what we're here for to be able to build that along with uh, the the football skill as well and so but like I said they'll be able to make money from all of them they're not just limited to what they're passionate about
1: so Eric the league is it uh, 18-16 is there a certain amount is it regional is it located in a certain area only how's the league structure in terms of football
0: so right now, we're, what we're going to do is eight-on-eight, eight, right? So the, the regular season, it will be eight-woman football, and what we're going to do is play during the same time that the NFL does, so it'll be September through December, and then what we'll do is build an international 11-woman uh, football team, and that's when we'll go and play, obviously, internationally with, with other countries, and that will be January through April. So that will give us an ability to – and th- this is what the, – the funny thing is, this is what excites me – because I know there's people out there that haven't had the opportunity to experience other countries and things like that. And so being able to do that while you're, you're doing something that you love and that you're passionate about, but it also gives us an opportunity to get exposure to some of these athletes that are in these other countries and so they can come back and be able to play on one of these teams as well. So the idea behind state's developmental football is that we're going to have with the women's teams will be any, anywhere from two to four teams per state. Right now, we're looking at Texas, uh, Arkansas, as well as North Carolina, and we have. We're going to be updating the site within the next couple weeks because we we put some prerequisites out there for having the ability to build a team or franchise in your state, and there's some basic things you can reach directly out to me and and ask that to figure out what the prerequisites are. But we are open right now, uh, United States-wide, if somebody wants to open a franchise, because I know there are already teams that exist, and so they can take that existing team and move it over with our league as well. But essentially what we'll do is, in those states, let's say the teams in Texas were going to be in San Antonio, Austin, Houston, and Dallas. And so those four teams would play against each other, and it would... They would basically go throughout the season playing against each other, and then whoever the standout team was, then it would go into like a bracket system between the different states leading up to the WSDFL Bowl. And so that, that's the same idea. Instead of having them travel all over the place right off the bat, it's building that skill set, getting you experience in different positions, uh, and really building that um, sports skill set in the area that you live in um, versus having to travel all over as much. But it'll be eight-on-eight eight during the regular season, and then we'll go to 11 women when we go into the international season.
1: So you're looking at a flag football setup pretty much, and then you're doing a more of a tournament within the state, and then you're getting rewarded uh, to go to an all-star type mentality overseas. Is that what we're looking at?
0: No, no, no. The eight-on-eight eight will be tackle. Like, it'll be full-blown – women's tackle, uh, all it does is just smooth no,
1: up the game. I know, it's, I know it's tackled. What I'm saying is you're, you're competing within your state uh, league, then you're competing within yes. the diver- different states and then you're being rewarded uh, uh, as you said with an overseas trip. So At that point, any competitive yes. player will be chosen and then it's kind of like an overseas. I know there's a lot of events uh, in Mexico with the various leagues that are doing that now. Uh, I know the South Beach Bowl is coming up this this coming weekend. It's kind of the same concept where they take the best of the best of each region and they collectively put a unit together to do international competitions. So it's kind of the same concept.
0: Yeah, and and we've had a lot of different conversations with international teams. And the interesting thing is they don't – we had, I think, initially thought that they would just want the, the men's side of it. But as we started to talk more about, we have the men's side, the women's side, and the youth side. Uh, they want all three. And so that, that's the exciting thing is to be able to bring all three out, you know, with us as we go and, and do these. But, yeah, for the women's season with the 2019 season, that's what we'll do January through April. So right as we step into 2020, January through April will be that international season.
1: So it's kind of unique in a way because uh, December, uh, November through February is really the, uh, the off-season for the U.S. leagues uh, most of the time. And then you get into uh, February and uh, March and April, April being the hotbed between April and August for the summer, uh, summer season in terms of the uh, U.S. leagues. So that's kind of nice in that way because if you get onto uh, your program, for example – you're able to, you know, experience a lot more in, in that way versus the traditional leagues that are just playing within the states.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it'll – it'll. I believe that when these athletes come and have the experience that they will within our league, that it, it'll change a lot of mentalities for what they're used to doing. And I know you and I had talked about this, but the best explanation that I've gotten uh, from from an athlete was that they were looking for in a league, what they would look for in a partner. And that was just the loyalty um, support and being able to have something that was going to be around, right. Uh, be being able to have that, that monetary side of it as well. And I thought it was a really good explanation uh, for what they were looking for in a league, because you've heard of a lot of these leagues that will shut down mid or that, you know, different teams will just come and go. And so you know we'll, we'll be here for the long haul.
1: I think the biggest fear there would be a, st- uh, a stability uh, being unstable, because a lot of the, mm-hmm. a lot of that happens in traditional women's football, where one team is financially okay one season and they kind of have to step off the season and go back and re rebrand themselves because of either roster size or anything like that. But the reality is, everybody I think uh, ha- that has played women's tackle football has experienced that at some point or another throughout their career. And that's why it's a big fear factor for them.
0: Well, and I think having, you know, with all these business programs that we implement for these players, they pour back into the league as well. And so it's not basing anything off of, well, we have to survive off of league fees or we have to survive off of fans or concessions or, you know, fundraisers or anything. And I don't think there's anything wrong with any of those, but it's not something you could hang your league on, I believe. And so with it, it's having these business platforms that can can pour back into the league as well. And and the players knowing that we're investing heavily in them at the same time, and they're able to become financially free and financially independent and, and have more freedom, uh, it completely changed the game. The only thing you have to worry about is during the season playing the sport that you love out of season you're able to work some of these different business platforms and programs and you're making money the entire time right the idea of having a, um, a successful business is making money while you sleep and providing a solution to problems that exist and so we're able to do all of those things combined and at the same time this will give a lot of these women time, more time with family uh, more time to go and do the things that they want to instead of having to worry about, I mean, I can only imagine trying to nurse some of these different injuries that, that will come up just in general playing football and then having to go and work a job, you know? Um, And I've definitely had some of that experience in the past. And uh, it's just, it's it's always an interesting story, right? Like, Oh, how'd you get that black eye or broken hand, broken fingers, things like that. And so it'll be exciting to watch them be able to get free of some of those things that will give them more freedom of time.
1: So it sounds to me like the WSDFL gives you a sporting opportunity that of a sport that you love. And also it's going to give you some financial tools that will allow you to branch out as an individual, even after playing, you know, your age, your age level, everybody at some point deteriorates. So that way you have a foundation basically to just step away.
0: Yep. And, and the idea is not to cast the players aside you know, once they're done just playing the actual sport because there will always be newer, younger, faster athletes coming into every league, and that's across men, women, and children. And so the idea is those those people that who, whose bodies may not be um, able to play the actual game anymore doesn't mean that they, you know, couldn't go into, like, the mentorship side of what we're doing or the coaching side or even, you know, when it comes up into – becoming a, a chairman or GM or president. And so we're literally building a legacy league and, and putting it so that way it's something that can really truly become a, you know, league of their own. So it'll be exciting.
1: So Erica, w- uh, everybody listening here, where can they dive into more information? And you said one-on-one, maybe to have a conversation with you about each individual's experiences in the past and how things could look better and, and be more profitable for them ultimately in terms of financial stability and then still be able to play the sport that they love.
0: Absolutely. So I'm, I'm based in, in DFW, so Dallas-Fort Worth. So anyone that's that's local to here, I'd be happy to have sit down, meet face-to-face. You can come on my office, coffee, whatever the case may be. But you can find me on Facebook. It's just Eric, E-R-I-C, F Zarati last name is Z A R A T E, uh, on Instagram, E.F.Zerati. Uh, same thing with LinkedIn, just Eric F Zarati And then the actual website, www.wsdfl.com. And that has full access to my email, which would be Eric Zarati at official sdfl.net. And so any one of those, feel free to reach out to me. I'm more than happy to have a conversation. And I always suggest to everyone go to the website first and really dig in on that, and then we can have, you know, as thorough of a follow-up conversation as you would like. And I look forward to hearing from any of you that, that have any questions, uh, that are interested in opening up, you know, a franchise team, or that are interested for in playing, because as we continue to expand, we will have regional tryouts in a lot of different areas, Uh, We're not just limited to Texas, Arkansas, and North Carolina. And so we'll have a roster of where we will be, like what the final decision with all the teams for the 2019 season will be as well.
1: All right, Eric, thanks for coming on today and kind of clarifying that. I know a lot of the uh, players on the group boards were really urging us to get you on so that you could kind of give us an idea of what the WSDFL is going to be all about and what benefits it offers. So uh, once again, the website is?
0: www.wsdfl.com.
1: All right, Eric. Thank you once again um, for your time today. Really appreciate you coming on, giving us a platform here on the Gridiron Blitz, and then giving the players an idea of what options are available to them beyond the traditional leagues. So really appreciate you making the time.
0: Absolutely, Oscar. And I appreciate your your time and, and for asking me to come on. And for, for those of you listeners, uh, I spoke with Oscar for a, a good amount of time about a week ago and when I talk about somebody that's passionate about getting your guys's voice out uh, it's massive so I appreciate you for playing that role for this very very important sport Oscar I really appreciate you for that
1: thanks Eric I really appreciate that um, and uh, continue success and we will keep tabs on the WSDFL as we go forward here in the next uh, year or so and then how things are evolving there as well
0: absolutely Thank you, sir. We shall talk soon. Okay. Have a great night. You too.
1: All right, guys. That was Eric uh Serate at uh, CEO of the WSDFL. And you guys can go to the uh, WSDFL.com, get the details there. Uh, it's a it's a great opportunity for a non-traditional concept model that will get you to another level of in financial state, not just playing the sport of football. So check it out. W S DFL.com. So the next uh, huddle that's coming on here. It's going to be interesting because we're going to be talking about the Alliance of American Football. And uh, obviously it's a brand new league, started with some NFL players' backgrounds, and we have a lot of new Twitter links, a lot of new Twitter handles, and a lot of people on Twitter kind of diving into the AAF and making a name for themselves. So we were diving into uh, an individual, Junior Pardo, and uh, Junior is very passionate about the AAF, and he's uh, the founder of the AAF Extended on Twitter, at AAF Extended. So let's bring in uh, Junior on here so we can talk some AAF. Uh, Junior, how are you doing today?
2: Doing all right, buddy. How you doing?
1: How you doing, Junior? Thanks for making the time. Really appreciate it. And uh, two weeks of uh, the Alliance of American Football, and uh, pretty exciting football between a college feel and maybe an NFL style, you know, a- attitude, uh, including with traditional coaches and all that stuff. So, uh, what what was your feeling before this launch with all this information prior to the week one?
2: Well, I've been following the alliance for about a year. Um, I think it was last year or March Madness when I when I was doing my own podcast, I I started getting the notifications of the Charlie Eversole was launching a new football league. And that's when I started looking into it, and, and I liked the concept. And, of course, I had my worries about the about the, the new league because of everything that happened with the XFL in the early 2000s. And Charlie Ebersole's father, Dick Ebersole, actually was part of the XFL. So, of course, I had my concerns about the, about the brand-new league, being the Ebersole family again, uh, the links that it had to the XFL. But for for the most part, I was very excited. I just really wanted to see how it was going to work out.
1: Junior, uh, a lot of reservations for people because, as to your point, in the past, we've had leagues come and go, you know, right? And they're trying to fill a void in the off season of the NFL. A lot of people would say, there is a, a need for it, but technically there is no sustainability for it long-term because of the fact that the fanfare kind of wears off after the Super Bowl. Do so you feel like then maybe that's a factor today? Because the news came out today that they were almost drowning in payroll it, it, within two weeks here, and we have, an, we have a billionaire in the NHL that's bailing them out for $250, $250 million. So, I mean, that right there, it's got to scratch your head because – they did pretty good attendance in a lot of in a lot of areas, but there's are no viable TV contract yet to sustain it, to even cover some administrative and financial backing. So does that worry you at this point?
2: It, it does. It does worry me a little bit. But uh, I've been reading everything that that's came out since from the athletic uh, Athletic this morning, all the way to CBS Sports. The the uh, the Orlando Sentinel actually interviewed Charlie Eversole as well. And I've been reading everything, and I don't know how to take it exactly. I don't know if it is smoke and mirrors at the moment that they're saying, oh, this is not that we're in financial trouble. This is that we're a startup and we need funding. So I really don't know how to take it, but it does appear that they are going through some financial hardships at the moment. I I wouldn't say 100%. Because, again, it's all smoke and mirrors from from everything I've seen and read. Someone is saying it's not financial hardships. Charlie Ebersole is saying, oh, there's stages to a startup. We were going to do stage A, B, C, but uh, Tom Dundon came to us and said, how about you eliminate all the stages? And I just put the money, $250 million, and I become the chairman for your league and potentially a team in North Carolina and Raleigh, North Carolina in 2020. But from what I stand right now, I really don't know how to take it, but it does appear that they're having financial problems, which is surprising because it's only been two weeks for the league.
1: So, so Junior, financial backing is always tough, especially with venture capitalists. From my understanding, a lot of it has to ride on certain logistics, and it looks to me like when you start up a new league, Nine times out of ten, you can get the the player fees or the player and salaries figured out, but you kind of don't figure out the game day necessities and the traveling and everything else that goes into it. So I think a lot of it has to do with that in in the long term, because it's a lot about logistics and how you can get you know uh, something of a benefit back without having to pay so much money out. So uh, I, I think it's a wait and see for us in terms of what's going to happen here, but it is a worrisome state because. You know, history has proven to us that you know the uh, L.F.L. Europa went under after so many years, and it wasn't good. X.F.L. is to your point, so it's kind of a wait and see for us to see how if they finish the season at this point, which I'm hoping that's going to be the case.
2: Yes, I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping as well that they will finish the season. Uh, Tom Dunton said that the reason he invested in the league was because he saw how successful. Uh, Attendance-wise and TV ratings was uh, TV ratings the league was after two weeks, which is another point of concern for me because if you if you're paying attention to the attendance of these games, most of them are are well I'm not I don't, don't want to say most of them but Memphis the Atlanta crowds those are uh, very small attendance I think it was reported that Memphis had 12,000 in attendance at the game. Now, Orlando and, and San Antonio has, has drew the biggest crowds with 25,000, 27,000, 29,000. So those numbers are a little iffy. I do want to see how the league progresses going forward, week three, four, five. I want to see the ratings because the XFL also, also had great ratings week one when it first uh, launched, but then they got progressively worse as the as the league went on as the season went on then the NBC didn't even recover their 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 uh, initial investment of 100 million dollars they only recovered 35 million of that 100 million investment so i i do want to wait and see to the end of the season if they do manage to finish the season with with the 250 million dollar backing right now i would assume can say that i'm 100% sure but i would assume that they could that could maybe finish the season,
1: Junior. It worries me because March comes up, and you got college football. I mean, college basketball. Then you have yes. the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. Then you got the NBA Finals. Yes. You know that gets thrown into it. And given all that, it's pretty tough to keep uh, an average fan involved, even in any favorite sport, because they're going to dive into something that's hot and something that's a lot more appealing. So uh, to your point, maybe certain markets are going to survive, but maybe not all eight teams are going to be mm-hmm. survivable. So I'm thinking yeah, not all at of them some be. point they might even have to scale down to like Orlando, Birmingham, Arizona, and maybe South Lake as an San example, Antonio. depending on the attendance Yeah, or we yeah, San Antonio, yeah. exactly. And that's because those markets are non-NFL markets. And I think those yes. teams, fans would be more excited for the football versus a, a traditional area that's got – You know all the other stuff the college basketball and hockey pro hockey pro uh, pro basketball so that's a worry state there
2: yes yes it is last year when i did my when i did my podcast that was one of the main worries that i had is that the aaf would be head-to-head competing with march madness one of the biggest tournaments in the country and and as you know being a sports person yourself uh everybody stops to watch March Madness. So that's one of my biggest worries because, again, back to the XFL days, they also ran into a lot of problems with the ratings versus March Madness, and that eventually is what, um, what got them out it made the league fold because the ratings weren't there. So, yes, San Antonio is another one that worries me because San Antonio has had so many, so many teams, so many different leagues, and he and always fails. but right now there seem to be to be having the attendance the TV ratings to have a football team in San Antonio so like to your point they may have to scale down to just a few cities and San Antonio may be one of them.
1: Orlando's always been great even in the uh, world uh, the World Football League the, uh, women uh, the world American Football League. So Orlando's always been a very viable place and I mean supported wise. Birmingham was another one that was really, even when the Canadian football league was there. So the, the, really the, yes. the, the issue with the AAF is going to be solid ownership. And since it's under one umbrella right now, it just seems to be that that's where they're, they're going to have to really figure out, uh, can they survive on five teams alone for, you know, a couple seasons, or are they going to be able to like survive on with all eight? But you know what? It doesn't vote well, uh, Junior, when Birmingham is giving away tickets. That's a bad sign yeah, that, for a, a, a league. You know what I mean when you're starting to yeah, give out I tickets. Saw,
2: yeah, I saw Birmingham do it, and I also saw. I think it was Memphis give out tickets as well. And and like you said, it, it, it doesn't. Yes, you want to put people in the in the stands, but at the same time, you need uh, revenue for for your team. You need revenue for the league, and giving away too many tickets is not going to help you with that.
1: I mean, I know it's a community type of mentality. You know, you want to get the community out and get it buzzed out and everything else, but uh, I just think it's just a, it's a bad sign in that regard. So there's a lot of red flags to your point, Junior. So let's go into the, the, the excitement since we're we're talking about the the, the demise prematurely here, and we have no idea yeah, what's so going to happen, are, like you said.
2: Yeah, what's going to so happen? So
1: technically, yeah. you know, we're still alive. Um, we got 250 million infused, so we're good to go for probably the eight weeks or ten weeks that it's set up for. Um, does it surprise you uh, at this point that they're front runners by hiring three female coaches right off the bat where the NFL has been hesitant?
2: It, uh, I wouldn't say that it surprises me. I wouldn't say it surprises me. Uh, like I said, following the league for a year and seeing all the new innovative things that they wanted to implement into the league, I, I, I wouldn't say it surprises me just did it did it take me back a little when I seen them on the field uh, it did it did but it, it's not like a complete shot oh uh, it was it was a fresh uh, a breath of fresh air if you if you must seen jennifer king for example a wide receivers coach for arizona hard shots then uh you have the the uh, the birmingham defense uh the, yep. the coach linebacker's Lopez. Coach. yeah coach Lopez. yes yes I couldn't think of her name. Yes, uh, the linebacker's coach. You know, seeing that is, it's, you know, breath of fresh air. They also have um, the lady referee as well. So, which, of course, the NFL already has that. But, you know, uh, it it doesn't surprise me too much. It's just more of a, I'm glad it's happening. You know, because there's also women that, that know football. And there's this generalization that, you know, men should only be the ones doing sports, not, not women. Well, there are women that are very knowledgeable about the sports world. And when we can see that, and, for example, Jennifer King, she has great qualifications for her wide receivers coaching position that she, held, that she holds at Arizona High Shots right now.
1: And you have, obviously, Welter, Jen Welter, who's obviously with Arizona, uh, semi-pro football, She's played women's football for a long time, pioneer of the sport. So there's no surprise there with that. Uh, Coach Lou Lucas, yes, she's coached in semi-pro men's uh, leagues as well, and so she's got. You know, they, they all have their resumes. In other words, it's not like they just got the job yes. just to get the job. So they have some resume behind it. Um, oh yeah, surprised junior that the Apollos are doing so good with Spurrier, or because I don't think it's shocked anybody
2: no no i'm i'm not I'm not surprised I'm not surprised by it at all. just a quick disclaimer, I am an Apollos fan, but again, I am a fair unbiased person when when it comes to sports. It doesn't surprise me because uh, the the headball coach has he has had success pretty much everywhere he has coached. He has won uh, with the Redkins, has won with Florida, has won with South Carolina, and he's now doing it with the Apollos. So there's not much surprise there. They also have a, a lot of NFL talent in that team. Uh, and, no, so, yeah, there's not surprise. No no surprise for me. My biggest surprise is actually uh, Arizona hot shots with Rick Neuheisel. That's my biggest surprise. The reason I say this is because Neuheisel hasn't coached since 2011 when he coached for the UCLA Bruins. So coaching-wise, that's my biggest surprise. And also uh, Tim Lewis down in Birmingham being a first-time head coach. But not too surprised about that because he has been in in the football environment his whole life. Rick Newhuis is a a big surprise to me.
1: I know we have the struggles in every league. Uh, We were talking about it here on our podcast and kind of joking about it, but, you know, the Singletary uh, 49er disaster – just seems like Memphis has just
2: inherited that. Also, it, they they did, and I don't I don't want to like really dig into Memphis too hard because their defense the defense has been have been solid outside of uh, I think outside of week one. Their defense is actually week one too. They they've been solid. What's happening with Memphis right now is their quarterback play. Their quarterback play isn't working right now. And I don't know if it is the offense uh, as a as a whole, or if it's simply Christian Hackenberg. But defensive wise, Memphis has, has been playing great. They play a great great game week two, but they're finding their struggles again right now offensively, like they did last uh, like they did last week. And I don't know what is going on. If it is like I say, if it is Christian Hackenberg, or if it is uh, Mike Singletary. I don't know what's going on right there.
1: And most of the time you can attribute it to coaching change or you can attribute to some sort of internal organization change. So uh, to your point, yeah, it's kind of a head-scratcher for Memphis. Uh, San Antonio does not surprise me that they're doing so well. It thinks like I look at that as they're more of a balanced team, so I think that's one of their keys.
2: Yes, right now San Antonio looks to me like the most balanced team in the league. They they do look to me like the most balanced team in the league. They have a great defense. They have four sacks versus the Apollos. They have six sacks, uh, week one versus the fleet. Um uh, offensively they're they're playing they're playing great. They honestly should have won that game versus Furrier and the Apollos on week two. But the Apollos just found a way, just found a way to they, they found a the vulnerability on that defense, which is the deep passes, and they were able to exploit it. But other than that, the Commanders are definitely the most uh, well-rounded, balanced team that I've seen in these two weeks.
1: I mean, uh, Gilbert, I think, threw for almost 390 yards, and uh, 390. it was 19 of 28. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, so, he had an I mean, that is, that is impressive right there. And he had Johnson and Thompson pretty much almost equal those yardage as well with about 12 receptions. So, like I said, you know, when I watched that game, I was I was like, okay, this is about as exciting as college football in a lot of ways, but it had a pro feel to it. So, I mean, anybody in San Antonio probably got their money's
2: worth, basically. Yes, they definitely did. Uh, I compared that game, and it might have been a little bit far-fetched, you know, over comparison, but I compared it to the Rams and Chiefs uh, game from last season. I don't know if you remember that shootout back and forth, oh, yeah. No, neither of course. team wanted to give up. Uh, I compared it to that because that's exactly how it felt to me. It, it felt like neither team wanted to wanted to give in. Both teams definitely played to win. Mm-hmm. Neither of them played not to lose. They both went in there into the Alamo Dome to win that game. And of course, only one could come victorious unless you go into overtime, but... The way that game was going, they weren't living a chance in overtime.
1: Now, March uh, over in San Diego kind of scares me because uh, if you remember the St. Louis days with uh, the quarterback, you know, getting completely blown up <laughs> with in his offensive scheme, it was a great scheme yes. if you can get the ball out quick. But if you couldn't get the ball out quick for some reason, the offensive lines always failed to cover. And your quarterback always – I remember Mark Bolger – of all people. Yes. Getting brought yeah. all the time. So um, I feel bad for Mike uh, Berka, uh, Berkarishi. Bar- <laughs> I'm Bar- boxing his Bar- name. Bar- I know Bar- I am. Bar- uh, but uh, yeah, Bar- Philip Bar- Nelson they did pretty well this time around, and they made the change, of course, because obviously Mike got his bell rang. So <laughs> it's probably a concussion yeah, protocol but... to keep him up for a week or two.
2: And the thing. And the thing is, we saw that. We saw what you're talking about with Mike Morris. We saw it week one when Berkovici got hit. And, and now they're about to play the exact same team. They're going, week three, they're going against the Commanders. Sam Washington is going to be there waiting for either either Philip Nelson or Berkovici, whoever is going to start, which I'm pretty sure is going to be Philip Nelson because I haven't heard anything about Berkovici. But I do feel bad for them, because, like you said that their old line is not holding they're not they're not holding too well and but it's, and it's right junior now, it's
1: been traditional it's been traditional, even when he had the
2: greatest show on
1: turf in St Louis, it was traditionally where the line was not very strong. The fact that the quarterbacks could get him out, he was a great offensive mind under Vermeil, but once he got to be a head coach, it was not a very good result for an offensive scheme.
2: Yeah, and, and we're seeing it happening right now. Uh, they squeaked out a win a couple of nights ago. I don't know. It, it, it was against the Atlanta Legends. I want to see if they are able to produce versus San Antonio right now. If Philip Nelson can get the ball out quicker. If they if they have to implement um, quick slants. If they can implement. Um, uh, screen passes to the running backs or the wide receivers, they have to do something because they will be without our quarterback here soon because they're going up against San Antonio who's leading the league in sacks right now and they need to get the ball out faster because those quarterbacks will get killed back there.
1: Now, I think the key to them would be to run the ball first before, uh, you know, making an effort on air, airing it out. And, and Atlanta... Uh, everybody thought they were going to be a, way better than they are right now, but they are not showing anything really of, of you know, fizzass. I mean, against uh, Orlando, they didn't really do much. Uh, San, against San Diego here, they really didn't show much either. So I don't know what the issue there is. Either the, the personnel's not gelling yet, or they're going to need a couple more weeks to kind of rebound. But at 0-2, I mean, that's – I don't know if you want to call an alert yet, but if they go down this next week or the week after uh they're going to be like you know 1 and 3 and that's not going to be very promising.
2: Uh the legends would be 0 and 2. I mean 0 and 3 if they go down. Oh, right. And I think the excitement right. I, I yeah I think the excitement for the legends was Michael Vick. I think the excitement was because he was going to be the offensive coordinator. And it it was a last-minute change where he wasn't going to be offensive coordinator anymore and he was going to be working the front office along with Heinz uh, Waller and Troy Polamalu and Jeff Fisher and all the NFL guys we know. I think that was the real excitement around the Atlanta Legends. It was Michael Vick running the offense. And it, it's not happening. And now the, the Legends, they they look lost. They they really look lost. I I don't know, again, Matt Sims to me hasn't been impressive. They're not giving Aaron Murray a a, a chance, and I would like to see Aaron Murray uh, have his shot out there. I mean, something has to give because you're about to go down zero and three, and and you cannot do this on a on a ten league on a ten game season, and the Legion Three really need to change something around to make it work for them. So
1: at the top of the Eastern Conference. Uh, undefeated right now, you have Birmingham and the Apollos, and they don't look like they're going to slow down. They look like they're just, you know, working on momentum. And then they're followed that by Atlanta and Memphis at 0-2. So, a lot of question marks in Memphis and, uh, like, to your point right now, a lot more question marks in Atlanta, given what we we thought was going to be something of an exciting brand of football in Atlanta. But, um, as people would claim, Junior, is this the same as the, uh, the birds in the NFL where they just, you know, crush your hearts and really not make anything of it in terms of the ATL. I, um, I, so I, I'm, from, I'm on that the notion look, from as the well. Looks
2: of it. Yeah. From the looks of it.
1: Yeah. It's going to be a heartbreak break. Uh, I feel bad for those folks that uh, were hyped up about it. I feel bad for Jen Walter because <laughs> she's always been a winner. <laughs> where She's gone. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden now yeah. she's on a, uh, on a team that's obviously not going in the right direction, so we'll see how that you know changes in the next couple of weeks. But um, so we have interconference uh, games, uh, junior coming up here. Memphis at Orlando. I would call that the massacre already, even before it starts. Yes, yes. Because I know the yes. is not going to be letting up anytime soon, and he looks too good. And I Memphis
2: looks. Yeah, I don't think he like will. you
1: said. They only got a D, and offensively, if they can't muster any points. Against the Apollos, yes. uh, it's pretty much game over. Uh, so that's going to be on the Saturday, and I, then Birmingham and yeah, at Atlanta. Man,
2: Go ahead. Yes. That's, 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 uh, the only thing I can think of for Memphis versus Orlando, it will be sack Stacy. Just give him the football, run him. True. Sack Stacy in, in the fourth quarter uh, during uh, in week two. He only uh, carried the ball. I think it was twice. Carried the ball twice in the fourth quarter. He he is over the only running back in the league, over a hundred uh, over a hundred yards in a game. You have to feed him. You have to finish your games. They they were doing. So
1: junior, is the, it is it the coaching in Memphis that's not utilizing the talent? Because that's how you become lo- I, a losing squad.
2: Yeah, I, w- I will think at this point. Like I said, I'll have to do. I'll have to go with coaching because the Express really had a shot at closing out the hot shot. They did. They could have won. They could they could have been one and one. They they were playing better for the first three quarters and then in that fourth quarter they let the hot shots in. The Hotshots scored fourteen points out of their out of their twenty yep. points total in the fourth quarter. Sach Stacy only touched the ball twice in the fourth quarter. Yep. You need to feed him. You could have killed the clock and and, and gotten that win in the fourth quarter. Uh like I with, with
1: junior time management's always been a struggle. It it, it in San Francisco, Francisco and
2: it's happening right now.
1: So yes. it's it's kinda like his enemy. He doesn't understand the clock in a way where like you said, yes, you know, you, you had you're up for three quarters, you have gotta literally kill the clock and you kill the clock by running to your point. And you just don't just do that then it. just
2: run it, run it, yeah. run it. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, so then we um, have the, Birmingham, Birmingham, Atlanta, Birmingham and, and, and Atlanta, and I don't see Atlanta winning against Birmingham. Birmingham has the best, what I think is the best defense in the league right now, a very stingy defense. They they make you earn every single yard, and I mean, they're calling it the iron curtain already, so I... I yeah, uh, I will uh...
1: Junior, we got to give a shout out to Coach Lou Lucas there. Uh, she's done a great job there too, as well with the rest of the defensive coach, but they are hungry animals oh, yes. when you see them on uh, when you see them on the field they're not giving they up aren't. much and, and you, they're making you earn it that's the
0: that's the yes, worst I think part the you have to earn it
2: game yeah you have to earn it against against Birmingham you have to earn it and that's one game I'm also looking forward to I'm going I'm getting a little ahead of myself right now but week 5 is going to be Orlando oh, yeah. versus Birmingham
1: and that, yeah, that that's Marky really Mac that's forward. Marky Macup that's the marquee game for the for the for the league, uh, given the hype and everything. That will be the you know the must see game of uh, bec- uh, the way things are going right now.
2: Yes, that's one that that's one. I, I was going through the schedule yesterday, and I saw that Orlando is playing Birmingham week five, and then they're playing the Hotshots week six. Week six, mm-hmm. and, and I was thinking, wow, this is going to be two great matchups. And then after the great matchup we have with San Antonio, I definitely want to see what they can do versus uh, versus Birmingham. Excuse me. Because Birmingham has such a great defense, and, and San Antonio has a great defense as well. So it might be the same. We might see something similar to what we saw Orlando versus San Antonio when we watched Orlando versus Birmingham. And if, it's that, if that's the case, then that's going to be a great game.
1: All right. Uh, Junior, Western Conference, Arizona's alone at the top, undefeated 2-0, followed by the Commanders, as we just talked about them, and then the uh, the fleet at 1-1, which improves with the you know last four quarter type of bailout by them, uh, you know with yeah. some penalty help. Uh, other than that, Salt Lake's at 0-2. Is Salt Lake as as bad as 0-2 as it states on their record?
2: Uh, they're they're not. I I in my opinion they are not. They they are good. They're a good team. We saw that versus the, the Arizona Hot Shots. Uh Johnny Wolfer had a different uh kind of game week one when they played. So to see that to say that they're as bad as 0 and two, I wouldn't go that far. I don't think they should be 0 and two. again, they play a great Iron defense and they were winning. They were winning nine nothing. They just couldn't finish it in the second half. The Stallions couldn't pull it together versus the best defense in the, in the nation, in, in, in the AAF, I'm sorry. And the Stallions could have won that game. They they were, they were went toe to toe with the hot shot. The hot shot ran away with it uh, at the end there in the second half, and the Stallions just couldn't close it out. But I don't think they're as bad as we think, uh, as we see, as the record reflects, sorry. Uh,
1: Junior, you think. Uh... The Arizona Hotshot fans are actually Arizona
2: Cardinal fans right now.
1: They're just more excited.
2: I I think so. I think they are more excited about the Hotshots right now.
0: <laughs> Last than the
2: Cardinals. This, this is just yes, this is just my opinion of course. Uh the reason I say that is because the 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 Hot the the sorry, the Cardinals are going through coach changes. Uh they just got David Johnson back, they just dropped it. Um you know, a new a new quarterback, and, and I don't I don't see it right there. Bruce Arians was a great uh, offensive mastermind and a, and a great coach. Period. And with him not being there, David Johnson just coming back from his injury, I, I think that they only won. I think it was three games last season. I want to say three or two games. Can't remember exactly right now. But hot shots right now are the hottest team in Arizona. And if I if if I get hate for saying that, then that is okay to me right now. Rick School is doing a great job with the hotshots that the Cardinals are not doing. So yes, I think no, a of lot of fans, even yeah. for the hot shots are Cardinal yeah. fans.
1: All right. Um. So we're going with uh, next weekend here in the West. The hotshots travel to Salt Lake, which for uh, familiar frozen in a way, on Saturday, yeah. and while San Antonio we'll have to go on four consecutive road games. They start in San Diego this week. So that's going to be interesting for the commanders because now they're going on four, almost four road games, four consecutive games yes. on the road. So the big
2: test. Yes, this, is going to show, this is going to show exactly what they're made of, what Coach Riley is really made of because it's not easy playing on the road. In any, in any sports, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's a startup league, the NFL – uh, women's football playing on the road is, is the hardest, uh, the hardest task because you you're going up against the opposing team and their crowd. So if if the Commanders can come out of that stretch four and oh, then I will know they are they are for real in the West. And a lot of the yeah, and that's right a, now, it, like for example, Commanders. Commanders are meeting the Fleet again, so I want to see how that game plays out because that was also a one-score game week one, and the high shots are also, used the silence again, I want to see how that one plays out, because it was a um, relatively close game week one as well.
1: Um, Junior, the matchups have not been so much blowouts except for week one, when you had, uh, obviously, the Apollos take care of, it. but every, uh, week two here, uh, wasn't too bad, 37-29, pretty exciting seesaw battle back and forth, so the expectation is, obviously, for certain teams, they're going to be doing the same thing in terms of competitive, but um, the um, Memphis Express, uh, they're be, they're they're hosting the Apollos, or I'm sorry, the Apollos are hosting the Memphis Express. Um, 2018 was I think uh, was it the losing 2018 at home against the Hot Shots. That was I believe Memphis, right, originally. Um, yeah, to your point, they just haven't given Stacy the ball enough. So the expectation this week they is haven't. Memphis to rebound if they play a good, solid run game, which I think Singletary has not been known to do that, and time management's an issue. Um, somebody tweeted me uh, two days ago, will the first AAF firing be in Memphis? It,
2: it could be. And and to me, this is it, it is strange that Singletary is not running the football more, considering... Uh, that he had refrigerator play and and Walter Payton in his team when they right. won the when they won the Super Bowl uh, back in, in uh, '85. Uh, so to me, it's is very very odd that he's not running the football with a relatively talented quarterback because Zach Stacy is uh, he had talent and he has success in the NFL. He's finding the same success right here in Memphis. You you need to give him the football, you need to feed him. He right now he has to be your main focus. Is give Zach Stacy the football, let him see what he can do for your team. Because right now Christian Hackenberg, it, he's not doing it. He's not cutting it for them. Lean on Zach Stacy. They need the game plan for week three has to be lean on Zach Stacy. That may give All right. a, which he did give Orlando a. Orlando had trouble stopping Kenneth Farrow in the yep. running game for San Antonio. So lean on Zach Stacey. Zach Stacey is a more talented running back than Kenneth Farrow is. So if you lean on Zach Stacey, you might be able to find some success versus a very good Orlando team.
1: Yeah, And I mean, and, and the D there is decent. They can put pressure up, uh, the complementary offense is really what's lacking. And like you said, if you're going to ask Heckenberg to win the game, you're pretty much going to get a a loss. It's got to be the run game. It's got to be the run game.
2: It has to be the run game. Yeah. Um,
1: No different than my Rams losing the Super Bowl by Belichick just taking away all the weapons and having to force Goff to win the Super Bowl.
2: It's kind of the same mentality. Yes, that's what Belichick does. Belichick takes away your weapons. You have to take away. If you are Memphis, you have to take away Orlando's weapons, which is the offense. Orlando has the most talented offense in the league. If you keep that offense on the in the sidelines, you can win. You can beat them. You just have to keep the the football away from Garrett Gilbert, uh, Charles Johnson, Jalen Marshall, uh, the Ernest Johnson, Akeem Hunt. All these. This this Orlando offense is, is is amazing. You have to keep the ball away from them, and how do you do that? Converting third downs—that's number one—and yep. leaning yep. on your running game, and you can—they can do that. They can they can achieve that by running the football. with Zach, Stacy.
1: All right. So uh, we got three teams uh, undefeated heading into Week Three. So uh, Junior, give us some predictions here. We already kind of figured out. The predictions but let's go with predictions here for this coming week uh, we have that um, coming up here so uh, obviously you're probably taking your apollos from what you're telling me here
2: yes I, I will take i'll take the apollos and i have them i won't say they're going to put up 40 points or 37 points again but i do think mm-hmm. they'll break the 31 to i want to say 31 to 12 is going to be the score the Orlando Apollos versus Memphis Express game, 31-12. to uh, Birmingham, mm-hmm. Birmingham, the Birmingham game, i like Birmingham to win it. Their, their, their defense is way too stingy, way too good. The best defense in the AAF right now. I think they'll win it. I just need to see touchdowns from Luis Perez. Because right now, he's a very talented quarterback, yet... He has yet to throw a touchdown, and I know that's not on him mostly. It's on his receivers dropping a lot of footballs in the end zone. Yeah. But I do yeah. have Birmingham. But he's very talented. That game. And I, he is a very talented kid. He was a D2 player of the year and yep. a talented bowler as well. But I do think they'll win that game. And I think Atlanta, they'll, they'll score nine points again. I think Birmingham runs with a 25-9. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm looking one. at field goals on the field goals for the Legends side because I don't think they've had yes. the muster score yet, so they're going to struggle again. Um, the other side we have uh, the Hot Shots, which you're uh, you know you're up and up on them against Salt Lake. I think they edge the Stallions once again, and so I, I really think that's going to be the case once again. They get, I think Arizona gets going after the half. And they're a better adjustment team versus the first two quarters where I think they struggle a little bit.
2: Yes, I think so, too. In week one, we saw the same thing. Week one, uh, the Stallions kept up with the with hot the shots all through the first half. Second half, the hot shots just took over the game. Johnny Wolfer had a great game, four touchdowns. Uh, Rashad Russ was unbelievable as a receiver. To me, one of the – I want to say top three receiver in the AAF right now, you know, competing right there with Charles Johnson. Charles Johnson is different. Charles Johnson has uh, a lot of NFL experience. So does Rashad Ross, but it's it's, it's different. Uh, In my opinion, Charles Johnson, not just because he's in the Apollo. I think, in my opinion, Charles Johnson is the better receiver right now in the league. Rashad Ross, to me, he comes uh, close second but I do think Arizona wins, and like you said, they'll win it in the second half. I think the first half would be a close, a very close game, like we saw week one. Second half it is going to be taken over by the shots, like we saw again week one.
1: All right, I am predicting a massacre in San Diego. Uh, I really do not think Mike Marks has what he, what he needs to do, and his quarterbacks are not being protected. The line looks weak. And this is sort of uh, a feast for the commanders. I really, I,
2: yes. I hope
1: that you know we have another quarterback going down in San Diego because you're gonna have to look for somebody.
2: Yeah, uh, I do think I do think San Antonio will will win decisively versus San Diego. Uh, week one, again, smoke and mirrors. They only have practice for a month. Only have one preseason game if you want right. to call it but that. ex uh, Experimenting for week one. Now these players are acquainted with each other. The 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 uh the quarterback oh my god Logan Woodside uh he has his favorite receiver right now. Uh Kenneth Furrow is doing the football very well so I think San Antonio will indeed massacre San Diego fleet. Yeah
1: that's the same sentiments I have right now. Um Junior I really appreciate you coming in. I uh, appreciate if you want to chime in Uh, bi-weekly, if you have the time, Uh, really love your insights. Yes, I kind of dive in, having the fans here, kind of dive into a passionate uh, individual like yourself that's dived into the AAF, giving us some feedback and insights. Um, But so far, you know, besides the looming financial, you know, notice or or news that we got this week, uh, the on-field play has been pretty exciting. I kind of equate it, like I said earlier, to a college feel with a pro You know uh, Aspect of it Which I think It makes the fans Very excited to watch
2: Yes Like I read on Twitter uh, I think it was A couple of days ago I read on Twitter It's It's like we're watching A college All-star teams Playing Mm -hmm. In an NFL Atmosphere And 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 that's exactly How it feels to me Is We're watching Great Great uh, College atmosphere With NFL uh hype behind the behind the players right. cuz these players that's the word
1: i think these it's players
2: high. yes these these players the the way i see it is and this is this is why i love college football more than i than i love the nfl i love college football because the, these players are trying their hardest to get into the nfl whereas nfl players already made it they're already in the league they don't they don't need to prove anything else other than I I am who I am. For example, Antonio Brown, eh, or I will give you another example better than that, Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell, with all the the diva situations that happened this year, sat out the whole year, you cannot do that in college because if you do that in college, you miss one year in college. That could be your shot at the NFL. You miss one year in college, you sat for a year, you might not make it to the league because the guy behind you might outshine everything you did the previous year. In the NFL, you have the luxury like Le'Veon Bell did this year, and you know somebody's going to pick up Le'Veon Bell next year because he is a very, very talented running back in, this, in the NFL. So that's why I'm very excited about the AAF because these players are trying to look for a home in the NFL once again. Yeah, Junior, and
1: unfortunately, you know what? Nobody seems to kind of get a break, and I really think this was kind of, this is a medium between college and the NFL. If it pans out, it's a good opportunity for uh, sort of a pro scrimmage and with an all-star field type of league. Uh, the problem is going to be can it survive with the overpowering of college basketball and the National Hockey League and the NBA? It's really going to be the question. Can it survive in the mix of all these other yeah, three leagues?
2: Yeah, that to me, that to me is, is my biggest concern as well. Can can they withstand that month of March? Because this Correct. season ends in April. Can they withstand the low ratings, the the, the few attendance, that the everything that comes with NHL, NBA, and March Madness coming right up next month in a couple of just yep. in a couple of days, a couple of days away from March, uh, the the college basketball season begins now. That's when it really begins, yeah. and that's when everybody's paying attention to that NHL. Again, NBA. It's it's going to be it's going to be tough. This is one, of, like I said, one of my main points of concern was was this one. Can they withstand the ratings? Because the XFL couldn't. They couldn't compete with with March, and eventually the league had to fold because they couldn't compete yeah. in March.
1: Yeah, I think the scale down would be. Uh if they can't do a 10 week season, they're going to have to do an eight week season. And that would be what middle February through uh, what the middle of March in a way, or even that, but it's just, they'd even, they even would have to kick off as early as middle of January, as an example, prior to the Super Bowl mentality, but that's also going to be a problem. So it's just, uh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're kind of like stuck in a rock and a hard place in terms of whether they succeed or they're going to, like you said, they're going to fail, but, so far, it's an exciting brand of football. I like it. I, I've been kind of diving into it every week because you know who who would have thought that you see Trent Richardson <laughs> when I saw that I was like right. Trent Richardson. Who, right. Where is what? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> that was like the bombshell for me. You know, Trent Richardson. Wow. Yeah, that's so that's
2: actually that's actually what got me excited for the AAF seeing hmm. Trent Richardson because I was I was in the YouTube channel last year and I was crawling to see to see all the players, because at that point they were announcing the cities, they were announcing the players, they were showing out the logos, and and I saw a couple of players that that caught my eye. One of them was Jalen Marshall, because I'm an Ohio State fan. He went to Ohio State. Mm-hmm. So one of them was Jalen Marshall. Uh, he caught my eye immediately. Then the other one was Trent Richardson. When I saw Trent Richardson, I was like, huh, that's what he's doing. He's back in Birmingham, Alabama. His home mm-hmm. his his hometown. He played for Alabama. He's a love. He's yep. very loved right there. So I, I am, I'm, I'm now. I'm in. that's what really grabbed me. It's yeah. like, okay, Tim Richardson is here. I want to see if he really is a, a boss like everyone thought he was, or if he was just not liking the NFL atmosphere anymore and he just wanted out. Which he said, and you know that he said he said. You know
1: that's when you're the, the, the reality is. The system makes the players. If you have a poor coaching system, or the, the system doesn't equate to a players on a football squad, it's really going to be detrimental. That's really what happens, and that's the reason Belichick does so well, because I think the Patriots don't pay up because they don't they don't get the, the luxury of a first draft pick. So they, they it's no, almost they, like a high school. It's almost like a high school mentality where every year you go into who am I who's going to be on the squad. And how can I benefit, you know, how can it benefit me? And how can I get these players elevated? And I think that's where New England, you know, everybody mocks New England by saying, okay, they're playing in the East and, you know, the Dolphins and everybody else is just crap. Well, uh, you can't blame them for the fact that the Dolphins and the Buffalo and the Jets
2: are just crap. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, what do you... But let's be honest. Let's be honest. Whose fault was it that the Bills lost four Super Bowls in a row before... Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, even it's true. came into in, into, New, into New England. You know what I mean? It's, it's not mm-hmm. their fault. Look, no, uh, no. Belichick didn't didn't find success uh, when he was in Cleveland, and he had no. uh, Nick Saban with him. So, for people also that are saying that Tom Brady is a system quarterback, I know I would say that Tom Brady is a system quarterback, but Bill Belichick is a uh, is a system coach. Because yeah. they both operate thanks to their own systems. Thanks to they feed off each other. You know what I mean? And and yeah. what the successful England has had over these past eighteen twenty years is Tom Brady and Bill Belichick feeding off of each other.
1: And they no, I mean, and I, I, that's what I'm saying. I, I give him credit. I mean, you saw, you saw what he's capable to do at the Super Bowl. Took away, yeah. you know, or I, at this point. I you would say outcoached uh you know, outcoached uh, the Rams Mike in Vane. in a sense where yeah. right, McVay, in a sense that he forced uh, Jared Goff to basically be the person to beat them. It I mean their defense yeah. was not even their defense wasn't even being mentioned as a top notch defense. Their defense was being mentioned as oh. a weak link. And guess what happened? It Whoa. stood out. I mean a lot of fans were like Okay, this is the most boring Super Bowl ever. Technically, if you're an offensive person that loves offense, yes, the most boring Super Bowl ever. But if you're a true football fan, that was a strategic it defensive, was a, it, it was a defensive win
2: mastermind. Yeah, and, exactly. And we know from and we know from following Bill Belichick and Nick Saban's friendship that they're both defensive masterminds. That's what they shine on. Yep. The defense. Look no further than than the Atlanta versus New England Super Bowl. New England was yep. losing 28-3, to and that defense managed to get it together in the second half, in the fourth quarter, and, and they came back and won the Super Bowl in overtime because Bill Belichick understood you have to take away certain things, which he did and ended up in resulting in the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history. So,
1: uh, Junior, yeah, just watching, watching Matty Ice on the, the sidelines, just watching Manny Ice on the sideline, right? Never have to touch the football ever again. You know, in that in that game, that was yeah, that, uh, the equivalent the equivalent of you got beaten because <laughs> you yeah, can't and, do man, time management.
2: And that's and that's what happens with Tom Brady. Uh, as an Eagles fan, right? When when Tom Brady was driving in the during the two minute the two minute drill. I honestly, yeah. I was nervous. I thought we were going to lose that game, that Super Bowl. Because yep. we know Tom Brady, two-minute drills and overtime, he doesn't turn the football over. He will finish the game. He will end the game right then and there. And, and we've seen it. Tom Brady has to be one of the greatest uh, playoff quarterbacks we've ever seen. And, and it is because of that. If he has the football last, he usually ends the game with a win. And and like you said, Matty Ice was defeated. He, he he looked beaten during that during that overtime, and that's exactly what happened. Tom Brady just did Tom Brady stuff. Bill Belichick took away everything that the Falcons were doing in the second half, and of course, it doesn't hurt that Julian Edelman made that ridiculous catch. Also, yeah.
1: I was just proud of I was proud of my Ram defense. Because you kept Brady out of the end zone, and you literally, did, you know, ne- he never touched the end zone. He never beat you at the end no, zone. No, not once. But the game, but yes. the game wasn't designed for that, as you said, Junior. The game by Belichick was designed to, you know, uh, pretty much hinder the the offensive side of the ball. Because Belichick already knew that only... the Ram, the Ram defense was good, good enough to win, but they couldn't win four quarters. You know what I mean? They could not win it within four quarters.
2: No, and and a lot of people thought that the same Rams defense, I mean Rams team that we saw versus the Chiefs was going to come out versus the Patriots. So, I mean the same the same uh, Rams offense, and all I have to say was the the Chiefs had the last defense in the NFL at the time they sure. they met the Rams. And the, mm-hmm. Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs had the last defense in the whole entire league. So. For people to to think it uh, no, you cannot look, you cannot say that because Joe Belichick, uh, he knows how to ad- adjust. Andy Reid is a good and, head coach, but he's no Belichick.
1: No. And junior, uh, you give Belichick two weeks, and you're pretty much dead. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You come yeah. with your a game. That's two weeks yeah. to prepare. Yeah. That's that is yeah. that is like that is him dissecting every personnel. Every scheme, every single thing, and and every game tape, I'm like, uh, yeah, you, you better come, you put, you better come ready. And literally, that's what yeah, happened, that, it, it, right? He, he already knew the Ram yeah, defense was gonna it. be there. He already knew that. Yeah, he's it. like, yeah, now we we're gonna that. force this genius coach, this genius coach. Then we're gonna force the coach, and we're gonna that's hinder that's him, right? With that's no running game, game, no real yeah. re, no real receiver game, and we're gonna make the quarterback beat us. Can the quarterback beat us? Yeah, no. and we
2: saw that a lot. <laughs> yeah, we saw that a lot during the Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady years. Oh, yeah. We saw that a lot in the AFC, AFC, uh, NFC Championship. games. We 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 would see that every single year. We we would see it. And, and uh, Peyton Manning is one of the best quarterbacks ever played, and Belichick always knew how to adjust to play Peyton Manning. Yep. And things like that, and people seem seem to forget that you know Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Bill Belichick, all, all these these great players can match up to Bill Belichick. And uh, McVay, yes, he's an offensive mastermind. Offensive mastermind, he's a genius. He may know everything by heart, every single play he's called three years ago, seven years ago, ten years ago. But he's no match to Bill Belichick and and who he is. He takes away your best weapons, and off the rip, the Rams didn't have Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley wasn't a factor that game. C.J. Anderson was a factor that game, but they took away C.J. Anderson as well. Who do you have a receiver? Right. You have uh, Brandon Cooks. Cooks? He's just your speed yeah. receiver. Well, just cup, speed receiver. Cup, being out,
1: Wood. cup being out really hurt Goff because that was his go-to guy. So, it really yeah, yeah, puts him in a – target. But the bottom line is yeah, the that. coach, uh, the best coach, probably, uh, I would say, you know, in my lifetime, you know, since following the, oh, the, the NFL. Mine, mine too. I mean, at this point, you know, I I would have to say uh, Belichick's probably beyond the Lombardi because at this point it's to go nine Super Bowls, to win, uh, you know, to to play in what, six, at, it's six out of three, yeah. I think six and three or something like that. It's still very yeah, impressive. Yeah, six and three. In, in the third time. Yeah.
2: Yeah, nine Super Bowls in in the past uh, in the past two decades to win six yeah. of them. I mean, that that is very impressive. We thought every and when I say we, I mean everyone who who is an NFL fan, NFL player, NFL coach. It doesn't matter. Everyone thought the Steelers would get to seven Super Bowls before any oh, yeah. other franchise because they were there. And at this point, you have to look at the Patriots to be the first one to get to seven Super Bowls. Because Bill, yeah, Phillips, it, I, as long as Tom I don't. Playing, I don't know if they might do it. There's no doubt there. There's no doubt
1: there. It, it's going to happen. I just think it's going to happen. You know, it, before he retires, it's probably going to
2: happen. Yeah, it, it, pro- it probably will because again, the NFC is is a tough conference, but I just don't see anyone in the in the NFC beating out Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, unless you yeah. are Nick Foles or Pey- or Eli Manning. I just don't see it. I just don't see anyone beating Tom Brady in the Super Bowl from the NFC. I, I, the NFC is a, it's a hard conference. The AFC is relatively easier than, than the NFC. So, yes, Tom Brady has a clear path to the Super Bowl year after year. He's playing three of the last five, I want to say. I, I do believe he's playing three yeah. of the last five. Yeah. yeah it's a, and, it's, a, it's yeah, an
1: impressive resume. Uh, it, it's just impressive, so impressive that you can't. Just, now, even if you're question. a ha- even if you're a hater, you know you still got to you yeah. still got to give him his respect. You know what
2: I mean? Yeah, you you have to. You have to give him his flowers. Now, quick question: Which do you think is a is a is a more impre- impressive uh, run, Nick Saban at Alabama, or Bill Belichick in New England? Now,
1: I would have to say the pro. Pro is more impressive. The pro, I, I really think. Yeah, because there's restriction. There, there's restrictions on salary caps. There's a roster that you gotta maneuver with. Where in college; it's not so much restricted because you don't have a cap. So I mean, both. I, if you if you want to say totally impressive in terms of consistently winning and winning a program, then you would say Alabama's probably mo- uh, more impressive in that sense to maintain a program that long. But on a professional level because of the salary cap and the way he's been able to fundamentally elevate each player on the roster to another level. It's, it's not like other teams, you know, uh, junior, they rely on what two or three key guys that they just paid big money for. And they're your producers Where on the Patriots. There's no big money guys unless they're, you know, and and half of them take a pay cut just to stay in the system because they know that's the most beneficial thing for them. You know durability in the system, so it's. Yeah, I think, I think in one sense, because of the success that they that they've had, I think the loyalty part runs deeper in New England than it does in any other NFL squad, because of the fact of yeah, how I, successful they've been.
2: Yeah, and I also think, uh, to your point, I do think New England is more successful, has had a, a more impressive run. Because when we saw Nick Saban come into the NFL and he coached the Miami Dolphins, again, because mm-hmm. he had the salary cap, he he couldn't do what he what he was used to no. in, in Alabama. Went 15 and 17 over two seasons, and he couldn't hack it. And, and he had to go running back to Alabama because, like you said, salary cap. In, in college, you can go all around the country looking for five and four yep. stars and you're pretty much guaranteed to get them when you're a program like Alabama, whereas in the NFL, it's it's harder to get a a, a guy like Julian Edelman, who was a quarterback in college, turn him into a wide receiver. Chris Hogan, a lacrosse player in college, turn him into a wide receiver and and be successful at it because these these guys are successful wide receivers in the NFL. They're not no scrubs by any means. They're actually successful. They're big contributors to the New England Patriots' success, especially over the last the past uh, five to ten years.
1: It's it's a mindset, Junior, of can you convert that player with so much talent, already, already with raw talent, can you convert him to a what's best for the team mentality? You know, the ego, yes. eliminating the ego. And I think he does the best at that. The fact that he takes them in and, and this is for the benefit of the team. You know what I mean? It's like no, no superstar yeah, on this team. And he's
2: done. And yeah, so besides done, Brady, Brady
1: besides, besides Brady, who is the key element of, you know, obviously of any football team is the quarterback, everybody else is just never, you know, you never you never hear it on, in, in any realm about this is the key, this is the key, besides Edelman and Brady, but the other pieces are silent, and those are the ones that kill you. They're so silent that you don't even yeah. know where they are, but they, they contribute week in, week out. All right, Junior, I yeah, really appreciate we, it. What? I really uh, appreciate you coming on. Uh, I really would love to have you back on if you can do it, you know, uh, weekly at this point, or uh, I would really, I know you've got to make the time for that. I yeah, know you got can. your own stuff going on, but I really yeah, appreciate do, that. Uh, right just let me know week. when you're able to come back on. And then we really enjoyed talking AAF. And your insights, yeah, we as do, well as uh, yeah, everything we else. Do
2: Mondays or Tuesdays, Mondays or Tuesdays work for me just fine. Fresh off of the off of the game, we can we can dive in. You know, right after the weekend. Yeah, after Tuesday all the is what
1: we Tuesday is when we do uh, uh, most of our stuff here to, on on the podcast. So that would be awesome. I mean, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes of your time would be greatly appreciated, especially to dive into to the AF as we go forward here. But uh, I really really appreciate right, you coming sick. on all and making me. the time. And we'll touch yeah, thanks, base thanks uh, me. Um, on Twitter.
2: All right, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And like I said, I'm, I'm just happy you guys reached out. I would love to be on the show weekly, give my insights, everything I know about the AAF. Uh, you know, people could also uh, follow me on on Twitter, AAF Extended, and keep up with everything I have to say about the league. What I, you know, what I feel. Uh, what I feel is going on, how the league is progressing, how it's uh, slowing down if, if it does. You know, but I, I just just happy to be on the show, man. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks, Junior. Appreciate it. We'll touch base again, and then uh, we'll kind of make that up, that biweekly thing. I know our fans really would appreciate your insights. So thank you again, and have a great week.
2: All right, you too. Thank you for having me again.
1: All right guys, that was uh Junior Pardo, uh, founder of AAF Extended, a uh, very uh, insightful individual that we brought on uh to give us a lowdown on the AAF and where it's at right now, the state of the game of the AAF. And uh hopefully we'll give him we'll get him in here bi weekly as the AAF season progresses, as his worries was March madness. And I think that's where everybody's worries at at this point was March madness. So hopefully that's the case at this point and that's not, uh, hopefully that's not the case where they go down and can't finish the season or for whatever reason, but uh, we'll see how it, it pans out at this point. So let's dive into the XFFL, the Extreme Football uh, Football League, and that's going to be uh, the power rankings at this point after week two of the league coming up in here. Um, South Texas Generals remain number one after taking care of business in Laredo. The champs uh, established pretty much their standard. Uh, next up for them will be the Spartans, so we wish the Spartans very <laughs> very well next weekend. The South Texas Cobras made their uh, debut against a weathered Spartans team. Cobras had a field day in the opener, and so let's see how they handle the Divas coming off a loss in Week 2. For now, they'll hold the number three spot in the XFFL Power Rankings. Uh, one of the two teams who moved into this was Kingsville Empire. You can check out the video on our Twitter feed. Pretty cool video of the Kingsville empire. So look at a little bit more like a uh, feisty lions there. So empire took care of business against the divas improving to one and one. And as early as a uh, week we'll get them an opportunity to kind of like heal up before their return to action in week four. So at this point they rest on number four spot, Corpus Christi uh, divas shut off the cannon early, but now they've kind of faced up with some injuries, plaguing the divas here. So uh, they're going to be pr- pretty much kind of trying to get a rebound win here. Uh, And then you also have the Laredo Lady Warhawks remain at six, taking a beating at home this week. Um, So it's going to be tough. We'll see if they can defend their turf this week against the Red Hot Sirens in a bounce-back opportunity for the Warhawks. And at number six are the uh, uh, struggling Spartans uh, that we just talked about. Uh, So they're 0-3 on the season, sort of have to look themselves in the face and see how they can rebound and get a a win or two here. Uh, So the River City Sirens. Had a break this week. For now, they'll remain number two on the spot, so they'll show up at that point. So, Generals number one, two and oh, Sirens one and oh, Cobras one and oh, Empire one and one, Divas one and one, Warhawks oh and two, and the Spartans oh and two. You can get the details on our Facebook page at the hub, facebook.com forward slash gridironbeauties. Details there and on the XXFL. We also had a uh, shout out to uh, Third Coast Effect, who had some good coverage of the Empire versus Divas snapshots there for the AAF. The other thing that's going on was uh, BAFA women. Uh, So we're waiting for double coverage to get up their uploaded um, recap and you can get it over at the hub at facebook.com forward slash brand beauties. So it was pretty cool. Uh, Leeds Carnegie Chargers. Fantastic weekend at home at the tournament winning both games against Edinburgh Wolves and the Manchester Titans which officially became the Queens of the North for another year. Congratulations to them. And then we go through um, let's see here. I'm going to get down to my notes here. Uh, on the other side, we have the uh, Fefa Spain at this point. Elena Femenina, uh, Valencia. Week one was 16 to 6 over Barcelona. Then we had the Pioneers 70 to 6 against Badalona. Week two was January 26 and February 2nd. Valencia improved the 2-0 with a 70 to 0 shutout of Badalona. And then February 2nd, Barbera, rookies, champions, 20-6 uh, to 6 over Pioneers. Week 3 here this past week on the 9th and the 17th, Valencia, uh, Barbera, rookies, 30-8. to 8, So the champions back in form, 2-0. and 0. Then you have Barcelona, 1-1, and 44-8 1, to 8 against Badalona. Badalona hasn't won in over two years. Uh, they uh, got to keep fighting here. They got to get to uh, another state of win. Coming up in week 4 here, is Pioneers versus Valencia FireBats. Uh, the FireBats are two and one. The Pioneers, at this point, sit at one and one. It's a crucial matchup here for the standings. Barbera rookies taking on Barcelona Buffaloes. It's pretty much a clash here. Um, Barbera's obviously two and zero, coming up an impressive thirty to eight, and as well as a debut of twenty to six against Pioneers. So uh, the Buffaloes coming off at forty four to eight uh, bashing of Badalona. Doesn't say much at that point. They did lose in Week 1 against the Firebats, 16-6. So defensively, they were pretty good. So we'll see how they muster against the rookies. In the 7-on-7 matchup, Zaragoza, 44-27 against Jabatos. That was on January 20th. And on January 26th, Black Demons, 25-0 over Gigon Mariners. Week 2 was Gigon 12-6 as they rebound from that uh, shutout against Zaragoza, who had that big win, 44-27 in Week 1. Then Gabato's fall to the Black Demons, 22-0. to So Black Demons really uh, the top class here in 7-on-7. Seven seven. 3, the 16th of February, it was 38-8 to as the Mariners rebound once again and two wins, and two back-to-back wins for them. Then the Black Demons, 38-6 to as they keep steamrolling here versus Saragosa. Saragosa started pretty hot in the first week, and now they're starting to show some wear and tear here, only mustering almost a touchdown at that point. So coming up week 4, or February 24th here, Saragoza against the Guion Mariners. Uh, so we'll see how that transpires there. And then uh, on March 2nd, Black Demons taking on Jabatos. So that's the schedule for the FIFA-Spain uh, uh, matchups here that's coming up here on this coming weekend. We also have action overseas in France as we get going. Uh, February Week 1 was February 2nd. It was Molasses 20-7 to 7 over the Cougars. Uh, St. Oliven on a man. And then you also have week two here. It was uh, February 9th. It was flash uh, two, uh, falling to the Molasses, 9-2. and two. Molasses 2-0 two and o now on the season. Uh, February 10th, Cougars 10-0 over Spartadius. And then you also have Corsaris 38-7 over Leopards. Uh, coming up this weekend, Molasses taking on Spartadius, uh, who have uh, basically have not won far the season. Leopards versus Flash, and that's a battle right there um, of two un, uh, winless teams. See who gets the win this weekend. Corsairs against the Cougars. Corsairs coming off that big 38-7 over Leopards. And the Cougars obviously taking on, uh, coming off that big win against Partadia. So two uh, very good teams going into this matchup coming up this week, uh, week three. And we'll get the details over as soon as it comes out as well. And we'll uh, kind of post them up on Twitter as well. And then in the South Conference, uh, week uh, week one was Blue Stars 24 to zero over Argonauts. And then uh, February third, it was Falcons losing 35 to six over Centurions. Uh, February 9th, Falcons 49. I'm sorry, uh, Falcons lose 49 to eight against the Blue Stars. And then you had on on February 10th, Hurricanes 46 25 over Centaura. Argonauts uh, get shut out 51 to zero against the Black Panthers. So coming up week three here, February twenty third, in the A on the FFFA of France in the Challenge Feminine, it will be Falcons versus Hurricanes, Centaurs versus Argonauts, and on the twenty fourth there will be Blue Stars against Black Panthers. That's going to be a great matchup there. Black Panthers, I can see coming off that one to zero victory there. Blue Stars coming off the forty nine to eight. It's kind of like two fifty burgers there. We'll see how that transpires there as well in the French League at this point. So uh, if you haven't visited the Hub at facebook.com forward slash Beauties. I suggest you go there. A uh, lot of content. We do have a poll going on right now. Really appreciate it. If you guys go check out the poll, give us some feedback on that, and uh, let us know what you love about the site and the page as well. And then we also have uh, specials on Zazzle.com forward slash and Beauties. Check it out. Support the project. Um, if you get anything else, get your No Joke Football Silver and Black shirt. It's the most popular shirt there is out there the one being supported by Michelle Marshall and company as well. Um, So go to the hub at Facebook.com for Sask and Beauties. So uh, it's a great show today. Got to talk to uh, Eric Sorate of the Women's uh, State Developmental Football League. Kind of give us insights as to how that league is going to be different than the other leagues. Uh, You can follow him at uh, Eric Sorate on Facebook. You can go to the website at WSDFL.com. We also had Junior Pardo here coming up, founder of AAF Extended, and he was giving us insights on the AAF, the early season, the struggles. We'll see how it transpires here coming into March Madness for the AAF. Find out if they're going to be able to survive the whole season given the in, uh, infuse of the $250 million that was obviously uh, generated by the uh, NHL owner to salvage the league. So um, if you haven't visited us on Twitter or Facebook, I suggest you go there. Uh, there's cool post of the Boston Renegades. Uh, before we leave here, Boston Renegades off-season mode. They're getting ready to defend their title 2019. Uh, pretty good shot of the uh, rookie class that's come, coming in for the Renegades. So we got we're almost 100 days until the road to Denver begins on in April, as the WFA uh, gets kicked off as well. And then there was a really nice feature. Uh, by uh, NBCDFW.com on the uh, WNFC Texas Elite Spartans. Uh, You can check it out also there as well as they prepare also for their uh, season to kick off in April as they chase the nine cup in Denver as well. Both championships in the women's game is going to be in Denver this year. Kind of strange in in a sense, but I guess locality is uh, ideal in that sense because it's more centralized. And then we also had action coming up in uh, week two of LFB in Cancun, and we saw that coming up. Uh, it was week two. It was the Barracudas rebounding after a week one loss, 30-0 to against the Sisters of Anarchy. And then the Bucaneras uh, taking a great win, 18-6 to over uh, Yellow Blacks, who debuted a uh, pretty good debut considering they, they put up almost six points, held the uh, Bucaneras to 18 uh, congratulations out there to uh, some talented, talented players out there. Janice Sosa, uh, quarterback Cecilia Rodriguez and company there. And then uh, we want to just give a shout out to Diagonal as well as RCN Sports out there for giving us the insights on the LFB you can get the uh, basic post on there as well. We also have uh, BAFA women coverage images from WAP Photography. And then we also have uh, David Robertson giving us feedback there as well from the Baffle Women action that happened in the U.K. So uh, great show today. We'll hope to have uh, Luis Bean back next week, as I said, and Troy Wilson. And then coming into the season, Mackenzie Brooks and Holly Custis will probably be absent at this point as they get geared up for the April season coming up here for the WFA and the WNFC. So uh, it's going to be pretty exciting to talk about that. And how the Majestics are going to do, and how the um, Iowa Phoenix is going to do as well. So, I'm pretty sure they'll be chiming in at some point down on their bi week. But other than that, we're going to be going solo pretty much a great our blitz myself, uh, Luis Bean chiming in once in a while here. And then we have Troy Wilson as well coming in here to talk pretty much everything American football. Uh, hopefully, we'll get Junior Pardo here as part of the, uh, the squad as well bi weekly as he's excited to talk the AAF. And we're more than happy to bring him on. So, um, awesome. So, if you want to go to the hub at facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties, make sure you do that. You guys have been listening to the best podcast talking women's American football for 10 years running, and this is the Gridiron Blitz. You can check us out on TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Listed Notes, Player FM, and then you can also check us out now Wednesdays, 10 a.m., Indie Rap Radio. You can download Indie Rap Radio uh, app on the Google Play Store, 10 a.m., Wednesdays, Grinner Blitz on Indie Rap Radio, and right here also on Block Talk Radio. So for uh, the absent Holly Custis, Mackenzie Brooks, Troy Wilson, and Luis Beans and Oscar Lopez saying have a great night, everybody.